church, come on and let's clap and give God some praise. Tell him how good he is. Say he's real good. He's real good. You can grab a seat in the house of God this morning. And we just want to say welcome. Thank you for being here with us to worship our King. And if you're with us for the first time, or maybe we haven't got connected with you yet, or maybe you're watching us online, we want to say welcome to you. Dothan, first, can we welcome our guest this morning? 
so glad to have you in the house. And one of the things we want to invite you to do, we encourage you to do, is to take out your smartphone, scan the QR code on the screen, or you can text D1TEXT to 84576, maybe even grab the Connect card from the seat back in front of you. Please fill that out with as much information as you don't mind us having. And then we ask that at the end of service, you can place it in our giving boxes, or what we would prefer is if you would meet us in our guest reception space. We want to exchange that Connect card for a gift and just welcome you to the house of God this morning and thank you for being here at Dothan First. So can we welcome our guests one more time this morning? It's going to be a great day. We had a great weekend already with our ladies, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But one of the things we want to remind you that's also coming up is Sunday, October 29th from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. is our Trunk or Treat. And this is going to be a safe alternative for families in our community. We want to provide a safe space for kids. Yeah. And it's going to be great. So one of the things I want to encourage you to do is to host a trunk. Uh, there's a sign up in the lobby. You should see it as you exit. Please, I encourage you. A lot of you are creative. Please uh, let that happen. We want to serve our community the best way we can. But some of you, if you want to bless us financially and donate candy, please do that as well. There are bins already out there. But that's October 29th uh, from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. You can scan the QR code on the screen as well. It's going to be an amazing night filled with fun. I think, if I'm not mistaken, one of the last times we did this, we had at least or close to 1,000 people on our campus. So please, 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 I encourage you to be a part of this outreach to serve our city. This is one of the many ways that we love God and love people. And another thing I want to encourage you about today is that uh, as we've been in this series, hasn't this series been good? Have you enjoyed it? Uh, Pastor Mark is going to continue it today, but I encourage you, maybe you're already sitting in the room, and for those of you watching online, go ahead and share this service. Follow us on social media. I promise you, there are many people we, there are, there are many more people we could reach with the gospel message if we just did something as simple as sharing a service, and maybe you're not following us, but I encourage you to do so. Uh, you can watch our uh, worship sets on YouTube. We got playlists on Spotify for you to listen to worship music on your way to work or at work, so please do that. It's going to be a great day and I'm glad that you're here and like I said earlier Awaken Conference was amazing and we want to show you a recap if you missed it please check out the screens but I'm here to tell you that he's going to move on your behalf okay that we're going to stir your faith up if your boyfriend just broke up with you or something's going on in your marriage or you're just flat broke in your finances or you're still dealing with anxiety and the trauma from what happened in your past, I am telling you, one minute in his presence and you can be changed. Not only is he more than able, he's more than willing. I know you're tired tonight, but I'm telling you, push in, push in, push in. He's got something for you. It's a divine appointment that each of you are here. Whoever invited you, you may not even know why you're here, but I'm telling you, God is going to meet you here this weekend.
table and put your hands together for an amazing conference and for all of those who work so diligently to make that happen and uh, for my amazing wife who has a vision to reach not only the world but specifically the women of the Wiregrass area. We're just believing for transformation to take place in our city and we're honored to serve with you and be a part of what God's doing here at Dothan First. Well, I want to take a moment to welcome, as Pastor Will said, all those that are joining with us for the very first time. What an honor it is to be able to host you. We're grateful that you're here, and we're believing that God's going to do something amazing even today. And uh, in just a few minutes, we're going to take a moment to give unto the Lord, and then we're going to take some time to worship the King in song as well as in our giving. And then we've got our prayer wall in the back. Many of you have seen that. And we want you to step out from where you're at during our time of song and begin to put those specific words that you say, Lord, you know I've been praying about this. I'm believing for a healing or a touch of God in my marriage or in my finances, whatever it might be. And just put that on the wall as a, a place of faith because we reach out in faith with you and pray over that. That, those needs all the time and then when when God answers come on everybody when I, I said when God answers then we're believing that you're just gonna put a red heart over that just indicating hey God did it God did it and in just a few moments I'm gonna invite your elders to go to the stations of prayer in the back over here in the back over there and in our balcony over here to receive you if you need prayer for any reason that's why we're here we're here to see miracles take place and to join our faith in the biblical mandate to receive prayer in that way. And, uh, but before we get there, I want to take just a moment and let you know as we give of God's tithes and our offerings. Matter of fact, how many God's blessed you? Come on, he's been good. He's been faithful. We get to give. We don't have to. We get to. And then you see the five ways to give up on the screen. But we want you to know that in this process of prayer time, we want to pray not only over you and your, your finances and your family, but we want to pray for the extended family, extended Christian family uh, in, in Israel, in Jerusalem. Uh, this is the second time in my lifetime, once when I was one year old, and now, uh, now this week it's, uh, Israel has declared war. And uh, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and we pray for peace in Israel. And so if you join your faith with mine today as I pray both over your family, your finances, your future, as well as those amazing uh, men and women of God who the Lord calls to pray over that small sliver of land that it's been under attack literally for millennia, but specifically now we're going to believe God for the peace in Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for peace, peace in Jerusalem as well as peace in our homes, peace in Israel, as well as peace in our minds, peace in the Middle East, as well as peace over the storms of our life that trouble our souls. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this house. And I pray that it would, that would extend from the Wiregrass area out through the streets of this city into our state, the state of Alabama, into the United States of America, and across the world, all the way over to Jerusalem. We thank you, God, for what you're doing right here, right now. And we thank you that, God, you're the, the God of miracles. 
nothing is too hard for you. I pray over our time of giving in both worship, in, in our giving as well as in song. And I pray that, Lord, we feel and sense and know your presence is here. But more than looking for us a, a, a feeling from you, Lord, we offer up a sacrifice of praise. Even when we don't feel like it, even when we've given all we can give, Lord, we give back to you what belongs to you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite our elders, if you make your way toward our stations of prayer right now, would you stand up with us? If you have a need, you go back to our prayer wall or you go back to those elders and receive today from the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship team, would you lead us?
thank you today for your sacrifice. We thank you, God, for the freedom that's found in knowing you. There's nothing like his presence. I just feel like we need to maybe all take a deep breath in the presence and the freedom of the Lord this morning. So everyone, take a deep breath with me. Lord, we worship you. We honor you. Thank you for the peace that's found in knowing you, Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we try to find a rhythm amongst the noise of this world, tuning the strings of our soul to feel we have a place in this orchestra of life, we find sometimes that we get lost amongst the oceans of sound. We dance and move our way through it all to find meaning, just trying to fit into this place and the people around us. Doing this on our own, we find we lose the rhythm. It's only through the grace of God that we truly find our place in this world. When we walk alongside Christ, He fills us with purpose. Only then we truly find our rhythm as we join in His orchestra. We learn to move in sync with God and His plan for us all. Letting God use us, the noise of this world becomes faint and the rhythm of God becomes clear. Come on, can you give it up for all those joining with us online right now for the first time? Come on. Hey, welcome. We are so glad that you're joining with us. And listen, if you're ever in the Wiregrass area, we would love to have you right here at Dothan First Assembly. And we're so grateful to God for what he's done in your life through the time that we have together. We're believing for transformation. And I want to take a moment and give it up for all those who are joining with us in the room. First time guests. One more time. Come on, give it up for them. Hey, we love you. We're glad that you're here, and go ahead, grab your copy of God's Word if you could. If you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'll gladly get a Bible in your hands free of charge. We just want to make sure that God's promises are right there in front of you. But go ahead, say this to me. Say, I am what God's Word says I am. I can do what God's Word said I can do. I can become all that God said I could be. So today... I'll hear God's word, I'll receive God's word, and I'll obey God's word because I love his word. Now just turn to your neighbor, give him a compliment of some kind. I mean, it's got to be personal though. You got to look at him and tell him something positive. Uh, there's nothing better than starting a service with a little, little compliment. The Bible says encourage one another in the Lord. Hey, I am so thankful that we have some of our family here today because of sisterhood. And uh, so we've got uh, Michelle's sister, Kim, and then both of her daughters and then our daughter, uh, both Maddie and Cameron came from Southeastern, drove in to be here over the conference. Thank you guys. And Deanne, thank you so much. The lifelong friend, uh, thank you so much for being here. It means so much to us that you're here today. And uh, can you give it up for them? We're so great, grateful for y'all. Thank you for being with us today. Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, and then just kind of put your finger there in it or set it to the side for just a few moments. We're in this process of understanding our purpose. But today, I'm going to deal with a topic that is probably one of the more difficult topics, okay? I'm just going to let you know right now in advance, turn to your neighbor and say it's going to be, it might be a little difficult, okay? It might be a little tough, okay? 
My assignment is unique today because in the process of understanding who we are and whose we are and understanding the purpose of God before us and what we're to do with what we've been given, there's a, the aspect of what happens when you get hurt in church. We're going to deal with church hurt today. It got real quiet. There's two things in living a, 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 an incredibly successful life spiritually. The first we talked about, and we've been talking about over the past few weeks, it's about identity. You got to know who you are. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about you. It matters only what God says about you. And we've established our identity and our focus on Him. And that's been really important to lay the groundwork and the foundation because that's the very first thing that we're supposed to understand in our assignment. But the second is to know, once you know who you are, you better know what you're supposed to do with your life and we talked about this that there was a a very successful king named Hezekiah and we saw last week in 2nd Kings 18 that Hezekiah was given a, a, a the the diagnosis that none of us want this terminal illness that he was told by a prophet of God that he was going to die let me ask you the question what would you do if you had one day to live Think about this. If you've been given one day to live, one more day. Now, I know all of us who are in our creative minds go, we're going to you know, fly off to Paris or London or we're going to see this site or we're going to go to the Grand Canyon or we're going to go you know, over to Canada and, and see the, the side of the most incredible waterfall, right? Niagara Falls or we're going to do this or we're going to do that. And, and all of those travel things would be great. We're going to go off to Disney. We're going to go eat a steak at McClin's. I mean, I don't know what you have in your mind about the great uh, last thing that you do on this earth. But if you were given 24 hours one day, and this was exactly what Hezekiah was given, was a death sentence. But the Bible says that he prayed. And the reason that he prayed was he knew up to that point he had lived a successful life. And the formula for success that was given clearly in Scripture was that he trusted God, he was faithful to God, and he was obedient to God. And because of those three things, the Bible says that God answered his prayer and extended Hezekiah's life for 15 more years. He gave him 15 more years. And I asked all of you a very important question. If the duration of your life was totally dependent on the donation of your life. How long would you live? If you were given a little more time to live and God were determining the future, how many days you'd live based on how successful you've lived up to this point, how many more days would he give you? How many more years would he give you? Would he look back over your past and say, you've done so well. You've turned the world upside down. You've been faithful with the word of God. You've been faithful with what I've called you to do. You've been a servant of all. And therefore, you deserve to live 15 more years or however many more years he would give you. Or would you have to apologetically look back over your life and see that you've really not made the most of what God's given you? He's given you a lot. You're living in one of the greatest days to ever live. And yet we have access to so much. And yet we sometimes produce so little with what we've been given. And the generations before us produce so much with the little that they had. And so we have to look at that and balance that out. And I guess then the second question is, okay, if you regret those years that you've lived that have been wasted, now if you were given the opportunity to live one more day, one more year, 15 more years, what would you do with the time you've got left? 
And I think that's the more important of the two questions because the first one, you can't change. The second one, you can. You have the ability to change it. And so we, we look throughout the scriptures and we begin to devise a plan of what's most important because you have to look at the priority system of your life and determine, okay, well, if this is what God wants me to do, I better prioritize this above everything else. And what we talked about last week was the first purpose in your life is to worship God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. One of the religious teachers asked Jesus the very important question, what is the most important command? Like, if I could prioritize anything, what should it be? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, put God first. It's the most important thing you can do with your life. God made you to love you, and then he wants you to build your life on him as the center. He doesn't want just a little bit of your life. He doesn't want just little pieces of your life. He doesn't want a Sunday morning of your life. He wants your whole life, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. He wants all of it, every little bit of it. And when that religious leader asked that all-important question, Jesus, without hesitation, gave him what I think is the, one of the most important purposes of your life, and that's to worship God, to make him first. And anything you put above God in priority, the Bible calls an idol. Matter of fact, two of the first Ten Commandments spoke specifically to this. He said, have no other gods before me and don't make any idols. Okay, those two things were paramount. The first two things of the, of the Ten Commandments, the first two commands talked about idolatry, putting anything above God, putting priority above anything else in your life except God himself. But it was interesting that he, this religious teacher, asked one question. What's one command that I can follow? What's one priority? He asked for one, and Jesus, for whatever reason, gave him two. Let's look at it now in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, almost like Jesus didn't even take another breath before he started into the second one. He said the second most important is similar. Love your neighbor. Everybody say, love your neighbor. neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and say, you better love me. (laughs) You better love me. (laughs) Jesus said that's second most important. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. All the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets stem from these two laws that are fulfilled. Look at this. If you obey them, he says, keep only these and you'll find that you're obeying all of them. That's what he's saying. Out of the 800,000 words in the whole Bible that's there, he says he's going to take all 800,000 and take it all the way down to four words. And it's the vision and heartbeat of this church. It's love God and what? Come on, say it out loud. Love God and what? Love people. That second purpose of your life. The first one is so much easier than the second one. Love God. I'm good. I'm done. Put me in a cave all by myself. I can't have anybody hurt me or offend me or bother me. I'm going to get in a cave, worship God by myself. And, he sa- and then he, he says, no, you better do that second one. You better love other people. That's called fellowship. And specifically, God wants us to learn to love his family, the family of God. He put you on earth to learn how to love. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. You say, why is God so interested in love? Well, you want to know why? Because he is love. 
He doesn't just have love. He doesn't just give love. He is love. Look at this in 1 John 4, 16. He says, God is love. And look at this. All those who live in love live in God. How many want to live in God in this house? Well, if you want to live in God in this house, you've got to live in love in this house. He says, and God lives in them. See, God wanted a family on earth, and that family is called the church. And I'm not talking about a building. Okay, I'm not talking about a structure. I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm talking about his church, his kids, those who are believing in Jesus Christ. They are his children, and they are the church on earth. And the, God's intent is that we would join a local fellowship, a local community, a local church, where we get plugged in and connected to each other so that we can learn how to fulfill the 56 one another's in the New Testament. You know what that is? There's 56 times it says one another in the New Testament love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, challenge and support one another over and over and over again, 56 times. How can you practice all those things without being connected to a local fellowship? A body of believers. The church is like a laboratory learning to love, to love God and love others. Let's keep reading in 1 John 4. Let's see what it says. Because here he begins to outline religion versus relationship. Here he begins to outline law versus love. And you need to catch this, friends, because it is very easy to slip from relationship back into religion. From going from law and all the, the things that God said that he came to not just abolish but fulfill. He said it's easy to slip back into that old way of doing things. Look at this, if anyone boasts, nobody in the church ever boasts about anything. We're always so conscientious of that. We're always so humble. We always think that every, always preferring others above ourselves. We never gossip or complain or tell anybody anything that is just off-putting. We're, we're never boasting. But if, if, if anyone boasts as I love God, I'm a Christian. Look at me. If anyone boasts, I love God and gave and, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a what now? He's a what? <laughs> Liar. If he won't love the person that he can see, how can he love the God that he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt, <laughs> right? It's simple. It's, it's clear. It's plain. It's right out in front of us. Loving God includes, everybody say includes. <laughs> loving God includes loving people. You got to love both, I guess, if I've got to, if I have to. God says, if you love me and you say you love me, you better love my family. You know why? Because you're going to spend eternity doing that. You're going to love your forever family. You're going to heaven one day. Thank God if you know Jesus, love Jesus, ask him to forgive your sins, make you brand new. He has done absolutely that. You are in the family of God. You're a part of the family of God. You're a child of the most high God. And thank God when we die, this is not our home right? And, and, and heaven is our home ultimately. It's just we're passing through this place. It's a mist. It's a vapor right here. But one day we're going to get to heaven. And guess what? The person sitting beside you or that knucklehead three rows back, come on somebody, <laughs> is going to be standing right there beside you worshiping God and loving each other. And that's tough. 
Because when somebody hurts us, it's hard to love them like we love God. The problem is God wants us to practice on each other. And by the way, it's easy to love people that are loving. I mean, we're doing pastor appreciation next Sunday for our staff pastors. And uh, so all of our staff pastors, we want to honor them. And if you want to bring something as a a card or a gift or something like that, I think it's appropriate to, to bless those. But it's easy to bless loving people, just being honest. It's easy to love loving people. It's hard to love unloving people. But God says we're supposed to practice. That's why you're here on earth, and that's why you're here at this imperfect church. Come on, somebody. So that you can practice on each other. This is a laboratory learning how to love. We are a science experiment. Listen, instead of Bibles and baptistries, we should have beakers and Bunsen burners. This is a science lab learning how to love unloving people sometimes. And thank God we're in one of the most loving churches in the whole wide world, and I thank God for it. I thank God for it. I thank God every time y'all make it easy on us to pastor you well. I thank God for every loving word, every kind uh, way, every uh, moment of encouragement and every prayer that you've prayed over myself or my family, my children, every prayer that you've prayed, it's, it's like a fountain of life. But I, I gotta tell you, I've never, ever wanted to quit the ministry over lost people. I've never wanted to quit the ministry or leave God over unchurched people. But there's been plenty of times in my life, over the last 50-something years of my life in church, that I've wanted to say, you know what? Just chuck it all. Because that joker, that jerk, that this, that that, what they said, what they did, how they treated me or how they treated my spouse or how they treated my kids. I'm just, hey, we're getting, we're getting real. We're getting real. I know you want me to get spiritual, but I'm, I'm, I'm as spiritual as I can be right here what I'm saying. And I thank God. As I said, I'm going to keep thanking God for everything that's, that God has done through each of you as you poured out your love toward us to make it easy. But how many understand, it, even In the best of situations, there's always going to be moments. There's always going to be moments. So we're a laboratory for love. Let's go a little deeper. 2 Corinthians, let's look at it. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. I want you to see this. Christ's love controls us, controls us. What controls us? What controls us? Christ's love. Christ's love. It controls us. Think remote control. Think remote control. If you ever had a remote control at home and you drive that thing, if you drove that little remote control car into a wall, it's because you had the controls. It's not the car's fault. It's your fault. Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we've died, listen, to our old life, our old way of thinking, the old ways that we wanted to treat somebody We wanted to rip their head off when they did something wrong to us or hurt us. It says, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer, listen, live for themselves. Instead, they'll live for who? They'll live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Now, let's go down to verse 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. By the way, I'm going to give you a ton of scripture today. 
I really feel like it's important that we get this word deep in our soul today. God's going to do some healing and he's going to break off some religious spirits. It's going to happen today before the end of this service. If you'll allow him, the, both healing from hidden hurts are going to take place and religious demonic spirits that have been controlling in this region in particular. Look, I've been all over the place and there are religious spirits that, that have taken authority or roots of authority in different spots around the world and around the country. And you can feel it when you fly into certain places like Las Vegas or other places. But I'm telling you, there is a religious spirit that, that has tried to take authority specifically over the American church, specifically over the Bible Belt. I'm about to go after it and y'all got to stay with me. Because in this house, what I know, if, if you're like me, I'm going to preach to both the, abuse and, the abused and the abuser. And guess what? I'm both. Are you following this? In one way or another, all of us have to take, recognize that we're both the victim and the perpetrator of the crime. There's going to be a hard word. Get your toes moved because I'm getting ready to step all over them. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 18 says it like this. God has given us this task. Everybody say this task. This is, look at this. This is your job, friends. You got a job to do on this earth. God didn't just have you here to just walk through life wandering, bumping off of walls and making money. He said, you got, I got a job for you to do. If you're going to live even 15 more years or five more years, I got an assignment and a task for your life. And you better know what it is. And here's what it is right here. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Look, if the God of the universe is choosing through Christ not to hold people's sins against them, then why are church people who desperately need God's grace and mercy holding against people their past sins? Oh, my. He gave us this wonderful message. Everybody say the wonderful message. He said a wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. Everybody know what an ambassador is? We say what he says. We do what he does. We represent him. We're not representing ourselves. We're representing Christ. Are you following this? Mm. It says we're his ambassadors. God's making, look at this, his appeal through us. That's scary. He's using you as a mouthpiece. He says, what you say, I'm trying to say through you. He says, we speak for Christ. So when we're speaking for Christ, what are we saying? If I'm going to speak for Christ, I better know what he's saying so that I can say what he says and do what he does. And here's what is said that we speak for Christ. When we plead, come back to God. You know what that means? He's not talking to lost people who've never been close to God. And he's not talking to people in church who are totally connected to God. He's talking about those people who have been wounded and hurt and they were part of the family of God and they were doing the right thing and somewhere they got waylaid, they got hurt in church and now we're calling them back. We're wooing them back. We're reconciling them back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin that we could be made the right or righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is, I am guilty. Christ was innocent. 
And we made an exchange because of God's love. And now we're supposed to give that same love that we've been given, that same forgiveness that we've been given. We're called to give that away. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, watch your toes. It's about to happen. As his ambassador, Jesus gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That means we do not have the ministry of separation or the ministry of division. We have the ministry of reconciliation. It's not my job to help you hate other people. It's my job as your pastor to help you learn how to love other people. That's the call, uh, to be a lifelong learner of love. If all people know about you, and your church is what you're against, you've done a horrible job representing Christ with the ministry of reconciliation, the wonderful message of reconciliation. I'm not saying we're not against things. Don't mishear me. I feel like I'm going to have to preach all those things I'm not. I'm not saying, I'm not saying this, I'm not saying this, I'm not saying this. Look, if you want to look back over my messages, look over the last seven years or the last 30 years, figure out what I'm saying. Today, I'm talking about something that I have to go after. Y'all still with me? All right, I'm not fired yet. Let's keep going. Here's the problem. The problem is this. Anytime you confuse God with church people, you'll always end up feeling disenfranchised and wounded in the body of Christ. Always. Always. Do you have any idea what would happen if we took this seriously and actually broke through religion and began to touch the lives of the hearts of the hurting people that left church, we wouldn't have enough room to take care of with 10 services all of the hurting people here in Dothan and in the Wiregrass area that have been hurt in church. This is a wounded city because of religion. And God's given us an assignment. We got to hold on to those wounded people and bring them back. When you confuse God with church people, you're always going to be disenfranchised and wounded and offended. And if you don't deal with it properly, let me tell you something. If you've been hurt before, and I know you have, as I said, I know we're talking to both the abuser and the abused right now. Simultaneously, there's a war going on inside of you. But let me talk to the hurt inside of you for just a minute. If you're not careful, what's going to happen is you'll become slowly, you'll become disengaged, and eventually you'll become disqualified. That's what the Apostle Paul talks about when he's talking about running a race. 1 Corinthians 9, let's look at it, verses 24 and 27. Do you, listen to this, do you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Here it is, run in such a way that you get the prize. How do you do that? Well, I strike a blow to my body to my mouth, to my mind, and make it my slave so that, listen, after I have preached to others, I myself, who's he talking about? He's talking about himself. He's like, I'm about to be disqualified. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest writers, the majority of the New Testament uh, was written by the Apostle Paul through the, the pen and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, I am about to be disqualified because of people, because of people and their religious spirit. 
You want proof? If, you would, if you'd look at the whole chapter in context, all the previous verses, he says, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He says, if you look at all the previous verses in context, Paul was answering all the angry religious Twitter followers on his Twitter feed. Come on, somebody. All of the social media comments that were all negative by Christian people, not by the world, by Christian people. And the apostle Paul said, I'm about to give up, but I don't want to be disqualified. So I better run this race and keep my eyes focused on him, on the prize, on Jesus, and not all of y'all. Here he is. They, they, they were telling him he was disqualified for all these different reasons. This was places where he had gone and pastored these churches and loved these people. And now they're saying he's not a good enough apostle. He doesn't preach strong enough. He doesn't have a strong enough word. He's not spiritual enough. He's not spiritual enough. He's too spiritual. I mean, he couldn't win for losing. And they were questioning his spiritual authority, questioning his very calling. And Paul felt like he had to defend himself against these religious bigots. Religion is harsh, and it's judgmental, and it's haughty, and it's arrogant, and it's self-righteous. Look at Jesus had a problem with this. Jesus himself. Look at the seven woes in Matthew chapter 23. Read them. The seven woes to the Pharisees, which represented the teachers of the law or those who are religious. He's looking right at all of them and giving these woes. Woe to you. If you do this, woe to you if you do that. And all of it comes out of judgmentalism, harsh words, a lack of love. And Jesus goes right after it. He look at, now I'm saying what Jesus said when I say what I'm about to say. I'm saying that because if, if you mishear me, you'll think I'm saying it. But it was so harsh that I got to remind you who actually said it. He said, some of you Pharisees, you religious people, you people that know, say you know God, Say you know the Bible backwards and forwards and have it memorized. Some of you are going over to other countries as a missionary and you're making a convert, a second son of hell like you are. Man, that's some strong words to a missionary, friend. And we are Christ's ambassadors. John chapter 2, let's look at it, verse 23. You still with me? Here we go. John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25, because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust him. Let's stop there. This is awesome. They're trusting Jesus. They're trusting Jesus. This, he's done great miracles. All, everybody should be excited about this. And my wife showed me this passage of scripture. And before she showed me, I didn't even believe it was in the Bible. I was so shocked when I read this. I realized I'm more like Jesus than I thought. <laughs> verse 24 but Jesus didn't trust them he's talking about believers people that believed in him he didn't trust them why because he knew all about people <laughs> no one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart Jesus knew what it felt like to deal with religious people even the disciples struggled accepting other believers that believed in Jesus and were following Jesus' message. Look at Luke 9. I told you I'm going to bring you a bunch of scripture because I felt like if I start just preaching this and not teaching this, I might get myself into a you know, tizzy over here. So I got 
<laughs> Stay grounded in the word. Luke chapter 9. Look, I just got to stop and say this. Before I go any further, I'm not, I, you're about to hear some passion. I want you to know, before those passionate words begin to come out of my mouth, I'm not hollering at y'all. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Look, listen to me. Y'all need to hear this. Listen to your pastor for a minute. I'm not hollering at you. You're the bride of Christ. God will kick my tail if I mess with his bride. I'm not out to mess with his bride. Yes, I'm about to confront his bride, but I'm not out to mess with his bride. So listen to what I'm saying when I say what I say. My heart is I'm hollering at the devil. I'm hollering at those religious spirits that have tried to take root and take hold, not only in this city and in this region, but in some of us that have allowed these things to look like God, but aren't really God. Are you following this? Didn't, Jesus didn't trust him. Luke 9, verses 49 and 50. Look at how the disciples struggled to accept other believers. John, one of the closest to Jesus, his disciple, said to Jesus, Master, we saw somebody using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our denomination. He didn't have the same name on the sign on the outside of the church. He didn't roll like we roll. He didn't speak like we spoke. He didn't say it like we say it. He wasn't in our group. But Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. If he calls him father and I call him father, then we're brothers. So let's chill. That's my words, not Jesus. <laughs> he didn't say chill, but <laughs> the disciples, listen, were jealous because they up to this point hadn't cast out any evil spirits. And now they're seeing somebody else from the group. And it didn't say they tried to cast out an evil spirit. They said in Jesus' name, they actually did cast out an evil spirit. And they were upset and jealous and critical because they saw something in someone else that they had not had the opportunity to function in. And they thought they should have got it first. He's not part of our crew. He's not part of the assemblies of God. We put these denominational walls up, and I'm not suggesting in any way that I'm... Listen, I, I've signed papers for years and years with the Assemblies of God, and I, I love our fellowship. Let me tell you something. I am first a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing separates me from my brothers in Christ across the street or down the road. If they love Jesus and they lift him up, I'm with you, buddy. I'm with you. I mean, we're in this thing together. We're not territorial. We can't afford to be territorial our pride gets hurt when others succeed where we've failed. And Jesus said, I, I'm done with that nonsense. Open up your arms. We've got to have the open arms attitude that Jesus had with others that were outside of that little circle, our little circle. Friends, you can't afford to walk in spiritual superiority. Listen, if you're going to memorize John 3.16, you better memorize John 3.17. Those of you that are spiritual, you know what I'm talking about. I don't even need to go there. Don't gossip and call it a prayer meeting. <laughs> Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Friends, we can't afford to do that nonsense. Look, you can speak in tongues until your hair is on fire, but if you don't operate in love, if you don't have the fruit with the gifts, the Bible says you are an irritation to the body of Christ. You are a kong and a clanging cymbal. Nails on a chalkboard. And he's not going to have it in his house. 
got real quiet all of a sudden. <laughs> Friends, I can't, I, I can't stress this enough. The ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling people back to God, hurting people, broken people, people that are angry with God and angry with the church. And you've got to show them love and care and concern and have your arms extended and be open to them. Friends, I don't understand it. I can't in my right mind understand how churches across the country can get, can get all lathered up and frustrated and angry and shouting about which song's going to be sung in church today or which Bible translation they're going to use today. Friends, people are dying and going to hell and we've got to do something about it. And it's not just the lost, lost, lost that have never heard. It's those that know the truth they knew the truth they walked in the truth and we are God's ministers of reconciliation it's time for us to put our laziness aside and go after those who are broken and hurting and wounded and when they come in don't you dare say well it's about time you showed up no you open loving arms you tell them the fatted calf is ready here's your robe here's your ring you are part of the fellowship. You're part of the body of Christ. It's so important that we get this. If we miss this, we'll lose so much because we're called to be Christ's ambassadors. I'm going deeper. Let me go. Here we go. Matthew chapter 18. Let's look at it. We always talk about the Matthew 18 principle. Let's get ready to dig into it. Matthew 18. Verses 1 through 5. By the way, it's also in Mark 9 and Luke 9. So it wasn't just like a one-time incident. This was clear throughout the scriptures. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom? Who's best? You know the stupidest question you can ask Jesus, the Messiah, the great one, the greatest one, the greatest of all, the best of the best, the savior of the universe, who lowly humbled himself and took on the form of mankind and walked among us because he loved us so much and died on a cross humbly for us. And now we're trying to fight for position. You know the stupidest question you can ask? This one. I mean, we ask it all the time in other ways. I mean, I can't believe so-and-so did such and such. Look, friends, I'm not, a, I, listen, we're going to stand against sin. We're always going to believe the word. We're holding this up at this, as the standard. This is always going to be the standard. I'm not talking about dropping the standard. I'm not talking about going below the standard. I'm not talking about using something other than the word of God as our standard. I'm not trying to talk about we don't call sin, sin, and all that nonsense. I'm talking about loving people, loving people. Like Jesus loved him. So, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of God? He called a little child to him. <laughs> Placed the little child among them. I can't imagine with their mouths wide open looking at Jesus. Can't believe he's just doing what he's doing. He said, truly, unless you change. Everybody say, unless you change. Unless you change. And listen, become like little children. I'm not talking about immature now. He said, like. Like little children. You will never it, I, I want to believe that what he says next is you'll never be great or you'll never have like super spiritual gifts or you'll never have great authority in the kingdom of God. No, it says, look, it says you'll never even enter heaven. If you don't change that stinky, self-righteous attitude about who's great, and acting like you have no sin while you're judging somebody else on social media. 
if, If you're not careful, you're going to slip right out of heaven. Because you're, you're, what, what happens is you're sliding right into self-righteousness. And if you don't need God's righteousness anymore, you can have your own and figure out how it works. But if you need God's righteousness like I need God's righteousness, we've got to wake up. We've got to wake up. Look at this. He says, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position. Everybody say lowly position. The lowly position of a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such in my name or a child in my name welcomes me. He says, if you welcome them, you're welcoming me. Matthew 18, 6 and 7. Let's keep on reading. So conversely, here's what happens. He said, you better welcome them. Become lowly. Become humble. Get off your high horse. He says, now, if anyone causes one of these little ones, everybody say little ones, Those who believe in me to stumble. Everybody say stumble. He doesn't say you just push them over. He said you tripped them up. Even if you trip them up. Even if you stick out your leg of judgmentalism. Even if you stick out your religious leg of self-righteousness and trip up one of those young believers who's desperate to know God but can't figure it out by themselves and they're looking to you and you're representing God to them and you make them stumble or you cause them to stumble, one of these little ones, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things are gonna come. But woe to the person. Everybody say, to the person to the person through whom they come. It's, listen, what he's saying is it better not be you that makes them stumble. Better not be you. Whoever spiritually derails another believer is going to incur God's wrath. That's what he's saying. You can't afford to mess with God's kids. Love's always going to win the battle, friend. The most dangerous place you can be is to try to stand between me and God, to try to stand between God and a young believer. You want proof? I dare you to go up to my wife and say something negative about her kids and just watch what happens. I dare you. (laughs) And a double dog dare you to say it about Griffin. I ain't going to lie. Hey. I ain't going to lie. Cameron, I ain't, I'm not lying, am I? Don't you talk about That's my son. Now, I'm going to tell you about it right now. I, that's my son right there. That's a, she'll, she'll get on her Tide soapbox and preach you down. <laughs> we'll talk about my son. If you are aiding the, t- the deterioration of a relationship between someone and the Lord because of your gossip or your backbiting or your judgmentalism, you are standing against God. To drive a wedge between a believer and God or to cause the downfall of a young believer is dangerous business. Any action or attitude, person or situation that causes them to stumble or threatens their spiritual growth has got to be removed. It's a stumbling block. Now, I want you to see how much God loves the hurting. Those that have left the church, I'm not just talking about this church, I'm talking about the church. Those who left the church because of hurt I want you to see how much God loves them. Matthew 18, let's look at it. Verse 12, let's keep reading. Are y'all still okay? We still here? All right. They shut off the clock, so they just, they know I'm going to keep rolling. I'm rolling down the tracks. Matthew 18, 12 through 14. Here's what it says. (sighs) What do you think? 
a man owns a hundred sheep, he owned them. They were all in the sheep pen. He bought them with a price. They were not their own. They were bought with a price. He's talking about the sheep, meaning his sheep, the sheep of his pasture, the ones who know his voice. They're talking about those that were inside the church walls and inside the family of God. He says, if he owned a hundred and one wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go out and look for the one that wandered? Everybody say the one that wandered. wandered. He said the one that wandered off. And if he finds it, Truly, I tell you, he'll be so upset and angry with that poor little sheep and beat up that little sheep and say, I can't believe you left the sheep pen. I can't believe you were curious about the world and went off and started doing your own thing. And I can't believe all the places you've been and now you're so muddy. I can't even believe I got to wash you up. Is that what he says? He says he's happier about the one sheep than the 99 that did not wander off. Why? Because the 99 are safe. Y'all are safe. Look, I love you. I care about you. I want you discipled. I want you happy. I want you encouraged. I want you to walk in the church doors and go, it feels nice. The temperature's perfect. The sound is great. I love the worship. I like the songs. I like the preaching. But I care way more about those people that are out there that are so hurting and broken and confused and lost and don't have a clue about God. I'm way more concerned, and we ought to be too, because let me tell you something. If I lost one of my kids, let me tell you something, friend. When we got, if we got three kids and one of them's lost, I got two at home. I'm not worried about them right now. I'm worried about that baby that's gone. And you better be too. Jesus came for that one that's broken and hurting and lost and confused. And when we get a high horse about who we are, somehow our righteousness, it's all superficial at the foot of the cross. We are at level ground at the foot of the cross. And I know that you better than I know of some in this city that were hurt in church. And let me tell you, if you're here today, as one of the abused. And I'm sure that there are, matter of fact, pastors in this room. I think we counted about 16 pastors that were either former pastors or currently uh, pastors uh, not serving in another church, but here at this church. If you've been wounded in the body of Christ on behalf of every Christian, every leader, Every person that spoke poorly or abused you, on behalf of them, let me say, if you never hear it from anybody else, I'm sorry. Please forgive us. We will do our best to do a better job of loving you properly, of treating you like Jesus desires you to be treated. We'll get more serious about having a ministry of reconciliation We'll worry about, about more about what we believe in rather than what we're against. And friend, I can tell you as a pastor and leader, it's not my job to police the Holy Spirit inside of you. It's my job to take root in the, the, the grounding and rooting of the word and let the Holy Spirit speak to me because I got enough problems of my own. But the reason I reveal these things to you is we have an epidemic on our hands. 
And Christ calls us to the ministry of reconciliation. And so it's awkward, if I could be honest, to talk to the abuser and the abused in the same breath. That's hard as a pastor to do. Because my righteous indignation against sin and religious devils is to put up my dukes and fight. I wasn't trained to run from a fight. But in the same breath, I recognize as much as there have been times in my life where I felt like I was at the hands of abuse from somebody who said something stupid, I can just tell you, it hurts. Matter of fact, it hurts even to this day. Stuff that's happened in the past and even stuff that's happened recently. Little comments, just like the Apostle Paul who was discredited doing the best job he could do and still discredited. I can just tell you, it hurts sometimes. Human beings, man. (laughs) Human beings. Let me tell you something. If you're hurt or you've been hurt, don't run from God. You've got to run to God. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. And let me tell you something. I I have a word to close this whole thing out, and it's a weird word. Just being honest, when I heard it, I was like, are you sure that's it? Yeah, that's it. In Psalm 23, it's not in your notes, not even going to be on the screens. I'm just going to say it to you like I felt it and like I felt like I heard it from the Lord. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for God is with you. God is with you. You think, well, that's just a sermon for a, you know, a funeral or something like that when someone's passed away. No, I'm talking about the valley of the shadow of death. Friends, I'm talking about shadows. Shadows are shifting. Shadows aren't even real. There's something that appear real that's not even there. Try to hit or punch a shadow or kick a shadow and you'll find nothing's really there. It's just a shadow. And if you've been woken up in the middle of the night dealing with hurt and pain, from the past or even the thoughts of what might happen tomorrow, the fear of what might happen tomorrow, the fear of what people are going to think of you, the fear of man and what are they going to say about you, or the fear of what people are thinking about you. I'm not this and I'm not that and I'm not this and I'm not that. I got a word for you today. There cannot be a shadow without a light casting on that shadow to reveal what that shadow really is, that it's nothing. There has to be a light, and the God of the universe, the light of the world, is here beside you, standing, ready to connect with you, ready to be close to you. If you will hug him and get close to him, the shadows will begin to disappear, because the closer you get to the light, it dispels darkness. You need to get this in your spirit. It's going to break religion right off your back. It's going to break that spirit of religion right off of you. Because then you'll find it's not just about a gold star attendance in church, perfect attendance. Then you'll figure out it's not just about, I got to read 25 scriptures or else I'm going to not make it. You know, listen, friends, get the word in you. Let it get in you. Not just get, you know, you're reading because you're going to get educated. You don't need just education. You need revelation. These scriptures are the manna from heaven every day. This Bible is meant to apply to your daily life. And God's calling us to apply the word daily, to not be fixated on the problems or even on the pain, 
you stay fixated on the promise. And the one who promised is faithful to complete what he began. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, in this room, I could feel it from the beginning to the end. There were both religious demons demons, and there were religious hurts. God, as I tarried over this message, I felt such a wounding, such a brokenness for those who are in this church or even watching online today that have just been battling, struggling their way through in some ways, don't even want to get near a church. Just the, just the sight of a church or the smell of a church or the sounds of a church just sickens them. And today you called me as your servant to speak life and to break that off of them in Jesus' name. That no longer would they be afflicted or affected by those old wounds because, Lord, you've come to bring life and that to the full. You want healing, healing in this house to hidden hurts. And I pray too, Lord, that you would help us to forgive those who have spoken against us. You looked over time and eternity on the cross and you said, Father, forgive them for they don't really know what they're doing. And I do know that some people do know what they're doing, but they don't know the extent of the pain that it's causing or the damage collaterally that's, that it's creating. So Lord, forgive them. Right now in your own way, in your own words, you just began to, in your own heart, begin to forgive those who've hurt you. People sometimes say stupid things. People sometimes say silly things. And sometimes we get in our own head. But I want you to receive healing right now in Jesus' name. Just begin to receive from him right now. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here to do what you do best. I want you to go through this church and begin to heal hidden hurts right now. We begin to lay them at the feet of Jesus, never to pick them back up. They're his, not yours. We forgive like he forgives. And yet, Lord, we're human and so we struggle. The face or the name of the, or the picture of the pain that we feel, it's usually connected to a person. So God, I pray we both forgive the the sin and the sinner. The person and the pain, we give it to you. Now, Lord, now that we've forgiven others, Lord, I pray you'd forgive us. Forgive us when we've stood in a place of judgment. We've been critical or harsh or arrogant or obnoxious because The fruit just didn't match our gifts. And we knew more and more and more about you, and yet it's like the Pharisees got a hold of us in some way, and we allowed that knowledge to puff us up instead of the spirit of love to control that and release to our city. But Lord, I know more than anything as your child, as your son, Lord, what I definitely know about you is the closer I get to you, the more I see the hurts of this world. And the more it breaks my heart. The closer I get to you, the more I realize you've got a broken heart. And you desire that all should come to repentance. So forgive us. Forgive us of our sin right now. Before I ask for those who may need 
to make Jesus the Lord of their life, I felt like I was supposed to give a first altar call. It's almost opposite of what I always do every, every week or from, for years. <clears throat> so it's very different. So this first one is for Christians, okay? This first one is for believers. This first one is for everyone who's made right with God and is okay with God and all is good. This first one is for you. I'm asking you to be honest before God. And I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Some of you already have your heads bowed, others. I'd just like you to close your eyes and bow your heads for a minute. Between you and God, I'm asking you to acknowledge that religious spirit and even be open to God's nudge, his gentle nudge, that if you've been a participant in thought, in word, or in deed toward other believers, because we're really good at shooting and killing our wounded in the Christian faith. I'm inviting you to be the first ones to respond. And all I'm gonna ask you to do is slip up your hand, acknowledging by the uplifted hand, Mark, that's me. I want you to be included in this prayer. Christians all over this place, if that's you, I don't want a religious spirit. I don't want a haughty spirit. I don't want a spirit of religion. Come on, all over this place. Yes, God bless you. It's from the oldest to the youngest. It's amazing. It's like the older is leading the younger right now. Come on, lift up your hands right now. Lift it up, keep 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 it up. Lord, I don't want the religious spirit. I don't want that religious attitude. Come on, somebody. You know God's tugging at your heart. You want everybody else to respond, but you gotta respond first. You want people to respond to Jesus. You gotta first respond with your heart of humility right now. If that's you, lift it up all over this place. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Lord, you saw those hands that were lifted and the many whose hearts were touched. And I pray that, Lord, they wouldn't take this message as a placement of offense that would then uh, uh, cause them to stumble, but rather they'd see this as a moment of reflection to refocus from off of ourselves onto others. And I pray that those hidden hurts, Lord, would be God, from this moment forward, released into your hands and that our mouths would be the mouthpiece of reconciliation. Our words and our thoughts and the way we talk to or about people would change in the mighty name of Jesus. And now for those who you'd say, Mark, I don't know the Lord or I've been away from God or I've been hurt in church or whatever it is. You got sin that's separating you from God. Whatever it is, if you need a fresh start today, that's you. I want you to slip up your hand right now. I'm not gonna embarrass you. It's not my heart to judge you. I want to invite you into the family. You can welcome home. Come on, yeah, God bless you. Welcome home. Welcome into the family. We love you. We wanna extend the love of Jesus to you. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Anybody else? That's you today. God bless you. God bless you. I want to lead you in this prayer. I want all of us to pray, but especially you who lifted your hands. Pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I repent for all I've done wrong. I believe that you died and rose again for me. I make you Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for changing me. I choose to trust you with every area of my life. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you stand up all over this house and give God praise? Come on, worship with us. Give God a shout of praise and say thank you for your goodness today, Lord. Praise the one who set me free.
Ah, hey, listen, before you leave, I want you to look right up here at me for just another minute. I'm still preaching the message. I want you to know I love you deeply and dearly. I've wept over this message before I ever brought it to your attention. I want you to know I love you with a deep love. So much so that I was scared to death, not of you or not of preaching what I felt like was the truth, but simply because I wanted to be so careful that I did not abuse the sheep. You hear what I'm saying? It's really important that a minister doesn't abuse God's bride. That's why I've got to be so careful, but I'm not so careful that I don't just speak the truth in love. I want you to know I deeply and dearly love you. That God loves you with an everlasting love. And I want to release that love over you with a blessing. And I'm going to release some of our leaders to head back toward our guest reception. Those of you that might be first time here today, you picked a fun day to show up in the house of God, didn't you? Uh, no, we are, we are really fun people, and I'd love to meet you after the service. We have a guest reception prepared just for you, and we'd be so honored if you make your way there. And just so we can give you a gift for hanging out with us today. Hey, do you still love your pastor? Hey, I appreciate that. I do. Yeah. Hey, I know. I need it too. I know. I Crazy enough, I'm still a human being. I still need it too. I want you to know I love you and I want to release you with this blessing. Can you just, re, just kind of like you're receiving a gift today. Oh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and bring you peace. And may the Lord our God write his name on your hearts and declare, you're my child. No one can take you from my hand. May you know the love of your Savior that came and died for you and rescued you. May you give that love away to as many people as humanly possible. I bless you to be a blessing to your family and your friends and your coworkers and your sphere of influence on social media. I bless you to love people well and to have the ministry of reconciliation. And now I release you to the task the job and the assignment of loving people and calling them back to God. I bless you to be a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you get, get anything out of today? Hey, I pray you did. God bless you. We love you. Have a Jesus-filled week. We'll see you either this Wednesday or next Sunday. God bless you. You're dismissed.